Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by John Dulong, Josias Melendez, Leanne S., Christopher Ifill, and Ian Collis. Listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Well, we meet again in the morning. Uh, I've got I've got a banana in me for nature's energy and potassium, and for a little extra energy boost. Uh, Lucas, given our recent uh, discussion of K-pop, I uh, put on a BTS track before we got started here. There you go. Nothing. It really is the uh, hot cup of coffee of music. Is K-pop? Uh, it's the thing that's going to put some spring in your step and get you ready for the day ahead. Now, my only complaint, and I know that I've kind of showed my age here by, uh, in previous episodes, talking about how, you know, I buy all my iTunes music track by track rather than go with a streaming service like all the kids do today. Yes, yeah, it's something that I was talking at work about with people. I don't, you might be the last person with the exception of maybe my dad <laughs> I know that buys songs track by track as opposed to subscribing to a streaming service. Well, it's coming back to bite me because the specific song from BTS that I like, uh, the only version of it that's available on iTunes, it's uh, Mic Drop, by the way. I just want the, I just want the version that's the Steve Aoki remix, but the only version that's available on iTunes is either the original or the remix, but with uh, designer in it. Oh, well, that sounds that doesn't sound that bad. I don't know. It's, designer I, did a song with BTS. That's odd. Uh. It's not, let's just say it's, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not what I want, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, I I want that that OG version, the one that captured my heart. (laughs) Welcome everybody to Elwood City Limits, where we talk about K-pop more than you'd think. Uh, My name's Will Young, and this is the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Welcome, and of course, welcome to my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Twice to Graham is a very good album. Is that uh, is that from the band Twice? Yes, it is. It's the uh, it's not their newest album. It's their second newest album, Twice to Grab. Very good. Uh, uh, my fiance Jenna and I were uh, uh, looking up a couple of K-pop videos on the weekend. Uh, I I looked up Twice because I'd never heard them before. Um, they're they're very cute. Like, and I say that as more of like a quantifiable thing. They're like. They're like almost intolerably adorable. I uh, the reason I know about Twice is because I watch a lot of like videos of people playing VR chat. Uh, and okay. there's this one video where this guy is talking to a guy from South Korea. He's like a little South Korean pigeon, and one of the things they're bonding over the guy can speak really well, good English, but he's only ever lived in like South Korea. Uh, and they're talking about K-pop. They're sort of bonding over it, and they're like mentioning bands like BTS, blah blah blah. And then the guy's like Twice, and he's like, Oh, Twice! I love Twice. They're so cute. I'm sure that's a huge part of their appeal. So, uh, uh, I mean, hey, they're, they seem to be doing it right. So, uh, you know, didn't sound too bad. 
Well, we've uh, it feels like it's been a while since we've uh, done an actual episode. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh, we've got some email to catch up on over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com, where you can send an email as well. Um, I just also want to take a second and thank everybody who has uh, nominated us for the Best of Halifax Awards uh, from our local paper, The Coast. Uh, so from what I understand, I looked on bestofhalifax.ca or .com or whatever it is. I believe the final voting is going to start in the beginning of August. That's right. So, so if we'll- we're nominated, we'll let you guys know and then uh, sort of weapon uh, 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 or utilize the uh, Elwood City fans uh, once again. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned for stay tuned for that. But thank you uh, for all the nominations. We'll see uh, how far we got. All right, over to our emails. Uh, first one here is from Dylan. It's titled Family Lineage. So last week you talked about Grandma Thor's husband being in the picture on the wall, something I had not observed before. That led me down a garden path where I wondered, do we know Jane Reed's maiden name? We assume Dave's is Reed, but all we know about the senior characters and their children on the show is their first names, Grandpa Dave and Grandpa Thora. It'd be interesting to have a Reed slash Jane's family tree like The Simpsons has. Uh, yeah, we that is something we don't know. I feel like <laughs> uh, there may be a, de- a very dedicated Arthur fan who uh, has figured that out or sussed out that information from, like, background or context clues or something. But, no, I don't think we know that just yet. Um, and also, like, I'm curious to know more about all the side family members as well. Like, for instance, uncles and aunts that we've seen in one episode. What is their family name? Like, do they change their name through marriage? Uh, are they older and younger than Arthur's dad or mom? Uh, these are all details I wish were flushed out just a tad more. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quick one here from Ian, uh, titled Another One with a Key. So, ha, I get it. Uh, just saying that he really enjoyed uh, the last pair of episodes because, uh, of course, one of them was a Binky episode, and the Francine one had some really great moments. He's looking forward to uh, hear about this one. Me too, because it's a Binky episode, and I was excited from the jump, as I'm sure you were, Lucas. Oh, no, it was I, it was everything I wanted it for and more. Uh, we got one here from Norbert. It's titled Birthday Suits. Something that always weirded me out about Arthur is that when the kids have birthday parties, they always dress up in their Sunday best. Is this a Canadian thing? And did either of you dress up for birthday parties as kids? Uh, we might have talked about this in like an early episode about like how it is kind of strange that they wear like their full three-piece suits and all that kind of stuff. They're as Norbert says, their Sunday best to a birthday. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this isn't a Canadian thing because no, uh, no I never, I never had to do that. Uh, if anything, it's probably like a late '90s thing. If but you're older than me, I, I I feel like that's a very old school mentality of like, okay, you're going to a dinner party, even though it's just a kid's birthday, you need to dress up or like the kind of kids that really dressed up for picture day. Like if you're wearing a blazer to picture day. As opposed yeah. to just like a shirt with a collar, I, I I feel like that's a very old school, maybe even late '80s, early '90s thing. Like something that would have been a thing when the writers were kids, not so much a thing that when the kids were watching the show would have been uh, uh, the age to watch the show. Yeah, I have no idea. I'd like because I think the idea for when I was a kid was that like you wouldn't want your kids to be dressed up in like their Sunday best because if like if they're gonna do party games, if they're gonna play and stuff like that, you don't want to get their good clothes dirty because yeah. of course. Kids are kids, and they're going to do that. 
So no, uh, definitely not a uh, Canadian cultural touchstone, at least not this one. Uh, thanks, Norbert. And finally, we got one right he- right under the wire from Rachel. Um, just a quick personal one. My family has always chuckled at the fact that I watch Arthur still. I'm 24. But now it seems the show is gaining more popularity. And now that I found your podcast, I feel others are seeing the other side of Arthur. And I don't feel as foolish. So thank you. Well, Rachel, it's... Uh, it's simply not right to feel foolish about any show that you watch as an adult, so we're glad to provide you a little bit of support. And uh, as we like to say, if you have any other friends, you, Rachel, you personally, or if, uh, you Elwood City Limits listener, have a friend who really likes Arthur and doesn't know about the show, tell a friend, for goodness sakes. We would love to uh, combine our mutual loves for this uh, terrific show. Word of mouth, it's the best form of advertising. That's true. All right, those are our emails at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. And now, without further ado, let's get into it. And, of course, you know it's a great episode when Binky's name is in the title. This first one is Binky Barnes Wingman. I feel like they're getting a more out there with the episode names. Like, for yeah. maybe the first four seasons, I've been able to pretty much guess what the episode is about fairly accurately and consistently just by the name of the episode. Uh, yeah. But these two both are real stretches on what the episode's title is and what the episode is actually about. So this is Binky Bard's Wingman. Especially the second episode. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Yeah, so the cold open here is Arthur and Binky playing, uh, just kicking a soccer ball around outside Arthur's house and talking about uh, people's favorite pastimes and how sometimes they can get out of hand. For instance, Arthur subscribes to Amazon Prime on Prime Day. (laughs) <laughs> oh man. and uh gets uh, a bunch of books delivered to his house arthur doesn't care about the strikes in no, uh arthur, south america arthur's a regular jeff bezos he's a, he's a regular dan reichert oh no actually i mean there is he there did, is a, a bit of a physical similarity uh, they don't have the same eyes not like a not like a john legend type but they do have similar haircuts and glasses i guess yeah uh, so yeah, Arthur yeah, gets a dump truck of books taken to his, uh, to his house, uh, because of course he loves reading, uh, Buster, because he loves eating so much makes what he calls the ultimate chocolate Sunday, which is a, uh, chocolate Sunday that is at literally as tall as him. I don't know where he got the cup, uh, to hold it. It must be the, like the a novelty, uh, uh, ice cream cup. He like, he must be holding it in, like the Stanley cup or something. And, of course, he finishes the whole thing, and the gag is that he finishes it, and then he's, like, um, immediately obese and then falls over. We've done that gag with Buster a couple times where it's, like, he eats so much that he gets, like, gains, like, 250 pounds. We get uh, two line reads on his, like, chocolate sundae. At first, he's, like, all excited that after he's eaten it. (coughs) Excuse me. After he's eaten it, he's, like, amazing, Chuck. (coughs) Sorry, I'm allergic to, like, Huber. He's like, amazing chocolate sundae. Yeah. The ultimate chocolate sundae. Uh, and then the last one is uh, Brain staying up really late because he's almost, he's close to discovering a new galaxy. Kind of thought maybe you should lead with that one, especially because the Arthur and the Buster ones are a bit more, uh, a bit more out there. And uh, the whole thing ends with... Uh, Arthur trying to set Binky up for something, and he's like, wait a minute, do you even have a favorite thing? And Binky's like, I don't know. So he doesn't have a favorite thing is kind of a bit of the lead line through this episode. Uh, and the big theme of this one is that it's bug week in Elwood City. 
Yeah, so one thing I was a little bit confused on with this episode is at first I thought Bug Week was literally like, it was like reading week or just a specific week at Elwood City Elementary School where they had a themed week where everybody had to do projects about bugs. But it seems to be like a town celebration. Like they're having a Bug Week parade similar to like the Spider Parade from the McElroy Brothers show or, or yeah. for instance, to a reference that you'll understand. I feel like this is like the eighth time we've brought this up on the podcast. But uh, when we used to uh, live in a small town, there was the Apple Blossom Festival. Um, applying yeah. that same mentality to bugs, insects. I guess that's what Elwood City's known for. <laughs> I did. That's a good point with the spider parade. I have seen that one. I'm just like Mister 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 Ratburn had a chance to throw a kick ass parade, and he <laughs> took a big nope on it. Mister Ratburn espousing the benefits of ranchos. Uh, yeah. So they're everybody's getting set up for bug week which involves quite like quite a bit of setup like there's a slideshow that mr ratburn has where it's like they change the city buses into like bug themed which seems like it would cost quite a bit of money bug week's uh, just leaving me with more questions than it is answers <laughs> to be honest with you it's I, when did bug week start like what is the purpose besides being educational about bugs have you ever heard or seen of a bug week before no, but it seems like something that you would do at, like, a local museum or something, not yes. in the entire town. Yes, I agree. You know, kind of a themed exhibit or something. Uh, also in that slideshow, the very first slide I loved because it's a shot of the entire uh, school faculty. And they're all kind of taking this very uncomfortable picture where it's like some people are just arguing with each other or just look really uncomfortable. But Principal Haney is dressed up in a bug costume and he's like the center of attention. He's like, hey, he's super into it. I thought that was a great visual gag. Um, so the idea is that all the kids in Ratburn's class have to pick a bug and do like some manner of report on it. And we kind of get those interspersed throughout the episode. And the, and, uh, the idea is that Binky... Well, like keeps choosing one, but then it ends up uh, being one that people have taken. Like he wants to do bees, and then termites, and then millipedes, but uh, everybody else is doing that, so he's not sure which one he wants to do. Uh, the first couple of presentations we see here are, uh, um, we see Muffy talking about bees, and she's got like this, almost like a wrestling costume on. It's got like a domino mask, and like she could be the third member of the Killer Bees. I, so we've talked before about Arthur in some cases, and a lot of kids' TV does this, giving you unrealistic expectations for certain situations. So, for instance, yep. early, early on in Elwood City Limits, when they go searching for dinosaur fossils and they find a new dinosaur fossil and sneak it out, that is giving kids very unrealistic expectations for the uh, mathematics and probability of hunting for dinosaur fossils, right? Yeah. I feel like Elwood City uh, uh, Arthur basically gave me unrealistic expectations for elementary school reports because <laughs> for every costumed interactive they bring food presentation that was on Arthur which is most of them where someone brings a full costume and they have like some sort of interactive uh, interactive element uh there was probably 800 powerpoint presentations that i had to sit through that were simply just that yeah, for real, though. And, and I mean, I was kind of talking about Muffy's costume. I have a note here about, like, all of the costumes that the kids make for their bug, like, their bug presentations are really good. They're, like, cosplay level. They're, like... Yeah. It, it, it's bizarre. 
the amount of like money it would take to put some of these together and or time like once we get to arthur's eventually the the, all the different appendages and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah no it's like like you said cosplay grade uh you know some serious money would have to go into this especially to make them look as realistic as they do or as close to form like i you're right you're right about unrealistic expectations it's crazy to it's like you kids in the kids in arthur's grade are more likely to just get the uh the costume that lisa had when she had to be like florida or whatever it was exactly. just made out of an old couch cushion <laughs> that's far more accurate uh george does a presentation on stink bugs where he like uh-oh he didn't bring enough uh um clothespins for the entire class to hold their noses and the stink bugs stink everybody out of the room been a while here's since a, I've heard about stink bugs. Let me I was going to say, here, here's a dumb question. Are stink bugs real, and are they called stink bugs? I'm glad you asked it and not me, because it was on the, the tip of my tongue, and I was like, I don't want to seem foolish if stink bugs are or or aren't real. Stink well, bugs. Yeah. Um, it's just that, like, stink bugs... Okay, so there are bugs called stink bugs. The just, brown what... mammarated stink bug. Ew. It's 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 um it's one of those kind of things from like '90s kids TV of just like like let's talk about stink bugs and all this kind of stuff. Just like, well, that doesn't seem real. You know, it's like how you you know people make like bug juice and it's like because there's bugs in it and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. It's just it, it's a part of '90s gross-out humor that I never looked really much further into. I guess it was probably like a news story in the '90s because according to this Wikipedia page. They were accidentally introduced into the United States and is native to China, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. But they were accidentally introduced in the United States in September 1998, which would oh. made of, which would have made stink bugs a hot topic at the time. And they've I had see. multiple adverse agricultural effects. Ooh, I'm gonna stop looking at this page. This is gross. Yeah, yeah. But it's like if cartoons were to. Okay, this is a little bit of a stretch. But it's like if cartoons were like referencing H1N1, like (laughs) instead of like stink bugs being the gross out humor, it's just like swine flu. (laughs) Well, that's moving from gross out humor to like actual illnesses. So at least stink bugs are a little more innocent. I think they just stink a little bit, or or like how skunks are were a big punchline for a while. I mean, we had one here in Arthur, for goodness sakes. Um, so Binky's still trying to find out what his project's going to be. We cut to the park where Sue Ellen is studying the praying mantis because of its fighting style. I did like hear how she's, she like explains herself, and she's like, do you want to see a demonstration? And Binky's like, no, no, I, I believe you. So in canon, Binky is still afraid of Sue Ellen and her fighting prowess. That's a great I thought, I detail. That... I totally didn't notice that, but you're 100% right. Uh, so, you know, Sue Ellen suggests, uh, uh, butterflies to Binky, that he could study butterflies, and his immediate reaction is, that's a girl's bug. But then, uh, as the episode goes on, in fact, right here, Binky sees a butterfly fly by, and he seems to get a little bit of inspiration. And, uh, I totally forgot and appreciate how this episode kind of quietly challenges, uh, you know, gendered stereotypes, because that's totally a reaction that a kid Binky's age would have, at least uh, back in my day, someone my age in, like, the 90s would do, of just, like, butterflies are for girls, because that's the kind of thing of, like, how pink is marketed to girls, blue is to boys. I know. It's so silly, though, like, looking back it on is. this. But I'm glad that this uh, 
episode quickly shows Binky's like ridiculousness. They're like, ah, actually, Butterfly's pretty cool. And we get the classic book within a book gag that I think Binky has come to be known for uh, on Arthur, where it looks like he's reading one thing, but he's actually reading another book within a book. That guy needs to get a Kindle for his reading privacy. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and you said it there. It's just like Binky is immediately shown to be wrong because – or at least his initial conception is uh, because he's reading a butterfly book and he's just like, wow, these things are really cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's almost like gendered stereotypes or BS. So, uh, you know, some almost progressive a little bit for a show made in the nineties, or at least in the year 2000, we might be at this point. Um, So Binky's project is he's going to catch a bunch of butterflies, uh, you know, uh, net style. And uh, Binky's butterfly catching outfit, his first one, it's a real Halloween look. He's got like a, like kind of like a, what do you, what do you call it? Like a camouflage smock on. Uh, he's got a football helmet with uh, twigs attached to it. It's, uh, it's, it, it, it'll, it'll get you to stand out in a Halloween party, I'll tell you that. He's, uh, it's his octo camo, his sneaking suit, his, his <laughs> infiltration gear. Uh, and... I mean, you could say season... Binky's all gillied up. Season four giving us serving us a lot of Halloween looks. So, you know, keep track of it, everybody, or and you'll have some fresh ideas for your parties this year. Um, so Binky is capturing a bunch of butterflies, but he can't seem to catch this one. Uh, it's like blue with uh, a little bit of like beige and red highlights here and there. And he slowly becomes obsessed with catching this one butterfly. There's a, there's a great little cutaway here um, where they're in class. Binky sees the butterfly outside, and his eyes go wide, and he just goes, It knows I can't leave school. It's mocking me. This might have been the highlight of the episode for me. The, I, I mean, Binky holds this episode together, in my opinion. And this is a terrific Binky performance, of course, by uh, someone we've interviewed previously, Bruce Dinsmore. Great stuff here. And Binky has some terrific lines like that. Um, so we get some more presentations, like Francine does one as a mosquito. Uh, Buster br- <laughs> brings up a log to the front of the class as his presentation on termites and somehow manages to hem and haw his way to a half-hour presentation waiting for them to come out. Even Mr. Rappern, who prides himself on loving education, no matter how boring, can't even stay awake. Could you, uh, wrap it up, Buster? Kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> we get this great, like, this is a great gifable moment of when uh, Buster's like, I think I hear them! Uh, and everybody rolls their eyes, like, at the same time. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's also Binky's voice at times in this episode takes on a manic quality and it's so great. I love his obsessed voice. Like, uh, Mr. Rappern's like, have fun on the weekend. And Binky's like, fun? Who has time for fun? (laughs) Terrific. This episode, like, I feel like this episode's got, it's got a lot of setup with all the bug week stuff. And I was kind of having trouble paying attention and staying engaged. But once this episode sort of takes a turn, and it's almost that moment where he's like, it's watching me. It's mocking me from outside the school. Uh, once Binky becomes more unhinged, that's where this episode really hits its peak. So kind of uh, Binky's straight man in this episode is Sue Ellen, who, who uh, gave him the idea for butterflies but then comes to regret it because of how obsessive binky gets about it she kind of goes to a tent that he has set up 
in his backyard and where he's got all the butterflies. And his idea is that he wants to uh, uh, eventually take them all to the museum so he can uh, share his collection uh, with everybody. But he still wants to catch that big blue. And uh, there's a couple of comparisons that Sue Ellen makes to Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. There's actually a great one here. So, like, as Binky is leaving the tent to go look for the blue butterfly, she shows him a picture of Captain Ahab. And Binky's like, you don't expect me to read that. He's got another great line almost immediately after where he goes, I'm nothing like Captain Ahab. Moby Dick is a fish. (laughs) Which is two incorrect statements back to back. Uh, because he is like Captain Ahab, and Moby Dick is a whale. We get a couple of mini-jokes here as, you know, Sue Ellen is trying to get help uh, for Binky, essentially. She's talking to Brain in the sugar bowl, and Brain is trying to count how many uh, legs the millipede has, and he loses count. Uh, Arthur comes in. He and Buster were supposed to do a joint report. Uh, Buster is the fly, and Arthur is a spider. But then Buster, he's he Arthur comes in with like a, the rope that is the web tied around him. He's like Buster got mad. He said he didn't want to be a free meal. Yeah, he was tired of being a free meal, which so Buster looking like a snack, you might say. Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it to him. I had to do it to him. Like would Buster have been okay if if Arthur was paying him? I guess that's what it is. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, the the flies are the jobbers of the animal world, I guess. The insect world. Uh, so Binky does finally capture Big Blue, as, as he calls it, and he's going to take his collection to the museum. And this was a weird moment, kind of. So he, they go to the Big Bug exhibit at the Elwood City Museum, and Binky looks around, and, like, all of the butterflies are, well, they're not moving because they've been, like, I guess you can't really stuff a butterfly, but they've been, like... They, they treat them in some way, and then they I, – I've so have you been to the Natural History Museum here in the in the city? Because they do have a similar yeah. bug exhibit to this. Like they yeah, have a bee yeah. one, and it's they're displayed in a very similar way where it's literally they like treat the animals in some way to keep them frozen in place, and then they nail them to a, a, basically a plaque and put them mm-hmm. up on the wall for you to look at, which is neither here nor there. But uh, Binky – kind of expected like more of an enclosure more of like a haven for the butterflies as opposed to them being displayed dead uh and this is a really morbid moment for arthur because we get these shots of like biggie sort of surveying all the death and then uh there's this great reveal where there's one outline of where a butterfly is supposed to be and it's the blue butterfly that's like the one they don't have in their collection but there's an outline for it a place and like biggie like just screams he screams and runs out. He's horrified. Uh, and, I mean, to, to Binky's point, I remember our local Natural History Museum having, like, a butterfly pen of live butterflies, like, as a traveling exhibit kind of thing. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. So Binky is conflicted. He uh, he does it, He wants to keep his collection, but he knows they can't keep him in the tent or else they'll die, as Sue Ellen says. So it's like he's either got to set them free or give them over to the museum where they'll be surely killed. But he spent all this time collecting it. He doesn't want to give it up. He's got that collector's remorse. Uh, We do see Arthur's uh, report as a spider. So he got baby Kate to play the fly. But nobody takes him seriously because Kate's too adorable, which is uh, completely true. And then Binky decides finally to take his report outside and he releases all the butterflies he captured, including Big Blue in this beautiful, colorful panoramic and uh he uh sue ellen's proud of him that he kind of learned something and then the joke to end the episode off of is uh 
um, rap, rapper and giving Binky an A for his presentation. And just like, I can't wait to say the written part of your report. And Binky's like, I knew I forgot something. You can tell I've been watching a lot of Arthur because when this moment was happening, I was like, oh, I bet there's going to be something where it's like, because Binky just kind of opened a box and showed kids a bunch of butterflies he caught. It's not necessarily yeah. the most educational thing in the world besides you get to see all these different types of butterflies. So I'm like, I wonder if this is like, if he's going to be like, great presentation, Binky, but you get a bad grade. And it was pretty close to what I had guessed. Uh, yeah. So you, at some point you can kind of see these coming a mile away. So uh, yeah, but then again, we have been watching a lot of Arthur. A lot so. of Arthur. A little bit unusual there. Okay, and we hop, skip, and jump right into the second uh, part of the episode. Um, okay, so you mentioned that both of these episodes having kind of strange titles. When we, when we, the last time we had a full episode of ECL, and I said to beat or not to beat, I was like, I have no idea what this one is. And having watched it, like, I kind of. I kind of see what they were going for, for naming it to beat or not to beat, like to the beat or not to the beat. Yeah. But it's like that. That's still not a good title of this episode. Not, not really, especially considering what it's actually, uh, uh, about, uh, the cold open here, actually a very good distillation of the actual episode, like kind of a nice metaphor almost. So it's Arthur talking about how Francine is all about, you know, doing things better than others. You know, she argues better. She plays baseball better. There's like a, there's like a moment in the hallway where she's haranguing Binky, like, like just art, just arguing at him. Uh, and eventually Binky concedes that a tomato is not a vegetable. It's a fruit. My parents once had a year long argument over whether tomato was a vegetable and a fruit. Uh, and Ooh. my mom's argument uh, for it being a fruit were based on uh, scientific papers that she was able to get through her access to the library, uh, documented uh, independent research and ev uh, evidence from independent points of inquiry, uh, you know, encyclopedias. Uh, and my dad's argument that it was a vegetable was that uh, he had watched VeggieTales and the host of VeggieTales <laughs> was Bob the Tomato and they wouldn't get a tomato if it was a fruit to host VeggieTales. <laughs> well, your dad is nothing if not uh, convicted. So uh, uh, he has a great deal of conviction, your dad, there. So Much like Francine that. in this episode. Yeah, for real. Um, and, the, and then Arthur, this is Arthur narrating this. He's, he says, Francine's going to try something that no one uh, is going, thinks that she can do. And in this, in the cold open specifically, Francine is going to fly. She has a football helmet on. Like flaps her arms, it actually starts flying. Yeah, like she's but... in eight and a half or something, like a Fellini movie. She's like up in the sky. <laughs> uh, and then Buster's like, "Like, do you think we should tell her?" And Arthur's like, "You tell her." And eventually, Arthur has to be like, "Francine, you kids can't fly." And then Francine immediately stops flying. And it's just like sometimes you really have to, it. Really is uh, it's no it's no fun having to burst your friend's bubble. So, so kind of an example of what we'll see in just a couple of moments here. The actual episode, it starts off with everybody kind of talking about the talent show that uh, Elwood City Elementary, or excuse me, Lakewood Elementary is doing. Uh, there's a great one here of like Buster. I think he's going to do like, he's going to tell some jokes. And so he has the joke here of like, what's orange and sounds like a parrot? 
a carrot. Arthur starts laughing, and Brain's reaction is just humorous. And I feel like I have had that that same reaction. Something, you know, when something is not funny enough to make you laugh, but you still recognize it as funny, so you're just like, humorous. I know. I just just don't like it when Brain reminds me of Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. And I feel like whenever Brain's not a big part of the episode, the way they just kind of be like, okay, time for a Brain joke, I'm like, oh, it's a little too Sheldon from the Big Bang theory E. I see. Well, I I liked this one. At least at least like he was smiling, so like he did uh it did seem like he appreciated it. Um so Buster's going to tell jokes. Arthur's going to try and do tricks with Pal, which isn't going so well. Uh Brain is going to uh cor- he's going to be Correcto, the human calculator. People will shout out math questions from the audience and he'll solve them immediately. But then uh one of them asks like what if Ratburn asks a question? And I actually wrote down the question that Ratburn asks in Brain's imagination. You ready for this one? Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, kids at home, if you think you can answer this question, uh, send it, show your work and send it to ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. If a train carrying 1,873 okay. scoops of ice cream leaves Chicago at 7 a.m. and the freezer stops working, how fast would it have to travel to reach New York before half the ice cream melts, factoring in a melting rate of six scoops per minute? Are okay. you fig- are you trying to figure this out? Well, I have to do it in my head because I don't really have a calculator in front of me because it's like the time... You may have to you may have to re-listen to this episode just to uh, just to keep everything fresh in your mind. I did I did throw a lot of numbers at you. Did you do the math on this? Did you try this? Oh heavens no! Okay, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm I'm going to promptly give up then. Uh, no, because for a split second I wasn't saying anything on the podcast, which makes for great radio because I was using a hundred percent of my brain power, (laughs) and so. No, certainly not because it's I mean it's it's a it's a math problem that's made for a joke on a kids show. I don't know if it even has a solution. Yeah. That's why that's why I'm crowdsourcing this one. If you can figure it out, send it into us via email. And then uh Brain's like, "Uh, good good point. Maybe I'll just juggle or something." <laughs> All of a sudden, the three of them hear this weird banging wailing noise that they can't quite picture or they or they can't they can't quite place what it is. Uh one of them thinks it's like a new termite treatment where they use like loud sounds to drive termites out from a house. And, and I like, was wondering a... if this one aside is the whole reason this episode was paired with the other episode that was like bug themed because like Buster had termites in his presentation and like this episode has termites. Sometimes I wonder like if they have they can't figure out which two episodes to pair with one another. They just focus in on something small like that. It'd be like, both these episodes mentioned termites. These two are going to be an episode. I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Somehow I don't think so, but I don't want to, I don't want to rain on your idea there. Uh, Brain thinks it could be like an engine of some sort. And they picture like this giant, like almost street cleaner engine thing that has a bunch of appendages and like whales for no reason. Yeah. He says it's rhythmic, like an engine. Yeah, but then they realize it's coming from Francine's, uh, the roof of Francine's place. And Francine earlier was coy about like what she's going to be doing for the talent show. They figure she's just going to drum. But it turns out it's the sound that Francine makes when she tries to drum and sing at the same time. Now, Lucas, I, I got to uh, know. Yeah. We, we, we were kind of talking about something like this recently. 
This is a. Uh, th- this seems to be kind of up your alley. What is what is what does Francine's drum singing kind of remind you of? Now I don't have. I'm not sure if this is the most accurate description. I wrote down improvisational acid jazz. Okay. Uh, but you know, there's multiple things. I mean, last we were talking about something recently. It does uh, remind me a little bit of Captain Beefheart. Uh, but you know, there's a whole manner of improv like art it reminds me of that scene from rent to be honest where the girl's talking about the cow like it reminds me of like performance art oh yeah um because even though this is supposed to be like blatantly bad like all the kids are like once they listen to it they play a recording later on they're like this is bad which is a little mean but i mean it's not great uh it still reminds me that like so many music genres are so niche that i could find you a room of 10 people that would pay to go see this Definitely. Absol- absolutely. Uh, and we kind of talked about this recently. Uh, so- something like this, at least. But, it, yeah, it, it is definitely supposed to be terrible. And especially because, like, Francine doesn't really have a tune in either in either respect. Like, she's not really drumming to, like, uh, she's just kind of wailing on the drums and, well, wailing as well. So she doesn't seem to, like, really have anything to sing or to drum to. So it just sounds really bad. Uh the guy, the guys go and and find out that it's her, and she's like, uh, you know, ask them, kind of ask, what did you think? And they're all afraid to tell her what they really think. In fact, they run away uh, with different excuses. There's a great one. Ooh, I really like this part. Arthur says, "I'm supposed to wash the dog," and Buster says, "Uh, I'm supposed to dry his dog." They all run away. <laughs> and this is kind of the idea of the episode: is that uh, we have the ultimate question posed to us. Do in in a situation like this, do you spare your friend's feelings or do you tell them the truth? This is something that especially Arthur wrestles with because he's afraid that like, you know, if he tells her the truth, uh, he'll hurt her feelings. But also, if he does tell her the truth, there's a chance that he could be wrong. And like maybe this is like the next musical sensation. There's even like an ima- uh, an imagination. Yeah, which was an Arthur angle has. I did not expect them to take on this. Yeah. I mean, the angle of should I tell her the truth or not? is what you figure what they would be talking about. But, uh, yeah, Arthur's just not sure either way. He doesn't want to miss the next wave. Think about all the clout that he's going to be missing out on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, where do you where do you kind of fall on this? Uh, to maybe taking out the idea of, like, maybe Francine could be famous with this kind of music. Where do you, what do you kind of think? See, for me personally, like, I find this difficult because I think, like, Oh, it's so pompous of me to think, like, I am the uh, meter stick to watch what's good and what's bad is to be measured by, and I deem this bad, and so I'm going to tell you this is bad in my opinion. Like, I feel like that's so, like, I, I'm i no expert. Maybe someone enjoys Francine's thing. Who am I to tell her not to play it, you know? If this was actually happening to me, that's the attitude I would probably take. Okay. Uh, I'm very... Uh, risk averse and conflict averse. I'd probably just let her play. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I think ideally I would be like to be the type of person that tells my friends the truth. But when it comes to that actual situation, it can be really, really difficult to like, like let them down easy or just be straight up with them. So I, I, I definitely see where this conflict comes from, and uh, I've had this myself. So it's hard to it's hard to kind of commit either way personally. Uh, speaking of Arthur's imagination when he's like lying in bed that night. So when, so he has the two different scenarios. Like there's one where he does tell Francine the truth, but then like somebody gets really big by essentially stealing Francine's gimmick 
And it's like becomes the number one song around the world. And Francie's like, that could have been me. But the other one where he tells her the truth and hurts her feelings. This feels like it's referencing something. And I don't know what it is. It's like Arthur and Francine on a cliff. And they're dressed in like 1800s or like uh, early 1900s style clothing with like Arthur's got like a black suit and a top hat. Francine's got like a bonnet and stuff. And she's like. It's very dramatic. It's almost like a Jane Austen novel. And then after this Arthur seemed tell- like it was parroting something specific. At like, I know. Uh, and yeah. I have no idea what it was. Well, especially because in the background, after Arthur tells her, um, there's like a string quartet or something. And they're like, how could you have been so cruel? <laughs> and yeah. So like, I have no idea what this is referencing. It's like, when they did the opening that was the uh, the homage to PBS's mystery mm. series. It's like, I feel like this is just something that I've never, ever encountered before. So, I don't know. Uh, so, they're not sure what to do. Uh, so, they decide to secretly cl- uh, record Francine playing. This is one of the more gonna... convoluted plans we've seen in an Arthur yeah. episode. Uh, to secretly record Francine playing and then uh, show it to Muffy. Because Buffy would uh, never admit it was bad if she knew it was Francine in the first place. Well, yeah, and they would see, but Muffy would never say anything bad about Francine. And like, uh, have you met Muffy? Like, you you remember in the you remember in when we did the Christmas commentary, and she was like, Francine needs makeup and all this kind of stuff. Oh, like, I forgot about that. She is she's not That's afraid to point. like to like dog her on the sly. You know what I mean? Like, she won't do it like to hurt her. She's just kind of like it's just part of her nature. I will say this also, like, there are a lot of different takes of Francine's caterwauling, basically. And I imagine that for Francine's voice actor, uh, I I wonder if that, if, like, just having her, like, yell incoherently was, like, fun. Like, it seems like it would have been kind of fun to record. I don't know. Speaking of recording, they, uh, they attach a tape recorder, kids remember tape recorders, to an RC car that they uh, get close to Francine, but then they accidentally end up falling down the stairs and then the uh, car goes off the roof, although the tape is still intact. And they're disguised as bushes, like man-sized bushes, in order to get themselves up to the roof. It's, uh, like you said, Lucas, quite the convoluted plan. They, It's the second time... In, uh, another thing that this episode has in common with the previous episode, uh, Binky got all gillied up. In order to catch the butterflies, and now the gang are all gillied up. It's funny because this is like a Fortnite meme, because they are all in bushes, <laughs> but they're on top of a roof, so like a bush would still stick out. It's like in Fortnite when <laughs> someone gets the bush, and they're running around tilted towers. Like, it doesn't help their camouflage whatsoever. <laughs> That's a good catch. I didn't even think about that. Uh, so they do end up showing the tape to Muffy, and she, of course, hates it, and then they reveal that it was Francine, and... Uh, and I, I also, this also made me think, like, I can't believe that nobody else in, like, Francine's building or her family or anybody, like, hasn't told her that she sucks, you know? Well, that's the thing, like, I, I assume Francine is playing on the roof in order to spare her neighbors the noise, but, okay, the people who live on the top floor still hear it very clearly, uh, as well as probably the neighborhood. That sound was is going to travel downwards. Uh, and spread out, you'd think there'd be multiple noise complaints. Like, people would be like, what is that girl doing up on the roof? Um, so this, Also, this how lo- is she getting yeah. all of her drumming equipment up there? That's another great question. 
Well, but Francine like has always played drums on the uh, so like maybe she just keeps them close by or something or like but she has played drums on the roof before. So this last part of the episode, I actually did not remember hardly at all. Uh, so they decide that the best thing for them to do is to tell Francine, and they do tell her. But Muffy tells it to her first, like, to kind of break it to her gently. But then they all go in one after the other, and eventually all four of them tell her that, like, her mute, her singing is not good. I actually and- really like the way they do this sequence because uh, it's interesting. They take a unique angle on it where they don't actually show Francine at all in this scene. Like, it's almost like an El- Abbott and Costello bit or something. There's this door... And obviously, like, they're like, okay, I'm going to go tell Francine. And one of the characters will walk out, come back, and be like, she didn't listen. So we don't actually get to hear the conversation. And then the next person goes in, and they're like, they must listen to two people, then three people. Eventually, it's five people in a row, and Francine's still not getting it. Yeah, she just refused. Like, I didn't think that they actually ended up telling her, but they totally do. Um, so they're so they're wondering, like, they're afraid that Francine is going to go to the talent show do the do her act and she's going to get laughed off the stage and they don't want they want to spare her the embarrassment they're in the treehouse francine meets them there and has the tape that they accidentally left behind and she ended up listening to it and it was also like thinks it's really bad she says like it sounds like an elephant running over ratburn's car or something like that and they're all kind of hesitant to tell her what it is and then finally arthur says it's you and uh francine initially gets mad and it's just like why didn't anybody tell me that i sounded like this and arthur's like we all told you i thought this was actually like kind of strange uh in terms of just layout of just like having them all tell her her n- not believe them but then eventually after she hears it then she does believe it you know what i mean it's just like i i'm not saying it's bad it's just like i did not expect the episode to be laid out like this plot wise yeah, it's got like the vibe of like one of those adult comedies where a character is keeping a big secret and then it's revealed or something like the dilemma where Kevin J. This is kind of a weird aside or reference, but have you ever seen the film The Dilemma? It's not good, but it stars Kevin James and Vince Vaughn and like no Vince Vaughn. Someone is committing adultery or something like that. And so someone's like, I saw my best friend's wife cheating on him. I need to I need to hide his secret. And it's like, that's the dilemma. And Vince Vaughn's sort of wrestling with telling. And then, like, there's that big scene where it's like, everybody's like, we did tell you. You know what I mean? That sort of melodramatic yeah. scene. Or, like, something that would be in an episode of Riverdale or something. <laughs> Very true. Um, so, yeah. And then Francine decides that, well... Uh, I, she's going to have to just do something else for the talent show. And everybody assumes that she's going to be drumming, but instead, she, uh, the, you know, we get to the night of the talent show uh, where, by the way, Prunella is doing a uh, fortune teller act where she, where she says, Mr. Ratburn is thinking about giving more homework. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of a layup. I wrote down uh, uh, this talent show would be very bad to go to. <laughs> uh, so Francine uh, ends up showing up with a microphone and a drum machine and everybody's like, oh no, she's going to sing because they assume that her, it's her singing that's bad. Like they like they all say like she's a great drummer. In fact, like, fr- like Francine said, I didn't know I sound that bad. And Arthur's like, you know what? You're a great drummer. <laughs> kind of like they just assume that her singing voice is like total butt. Uh, but then she starts singing and this is the episode where we discover that Francine is canonically a terrific singer. That's right. She sings some unlicensed song. You can fly if you try. 
You can fly if you try. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, when we've heard Francine and her voice actor kind of sing as Francine before and, like, be really good, but now they're, like, supposed to be surprised of, like, wow, she's really good. And uh, I was thinking that Francine's voice actor, Jody Resser, her singing voice kind of reminds me a little bit of Alicia Keys. Wow. It, High like, praise. It, yeah, and, and, like, the way that Francine sings this song when she really gets into it, Kind of reminds me a bit of Alicia Keys, and uh, so it's it sounds pretty good. But Francine is here revealed to be a really good singer, and it just turns out that doing both drumming and singing at the same time was never a really great idea. She can't do both things together uh, terribly well, but on their own, she can do both really well, which makes me real. I never really thought about the difficulty of drumming and singing, which you find a lot in like kind of like rock or punk bands that I. And, and tons that I've listened to before, but I never thought about how difficult that must be. Or like singing and playing the bass, like that always yeah. seems really difficult to me. Like you're not playing with the rhythm. And uh, so she decides that she just has to do more. She just has to do more practicing. I would be thinking like, well, maybe just don't do both at the same time. But no, Francine is uh, committed to doing both. And the episode ends with, uh, you know, everybody kind of apologizing to her. And then they uh, listen to her stuff. Again, her drum, her drum singing on the roof again, and uh, and Muffy has a like a has a smile on her face, and Arthur's like, "You really think this sounds good?" And of course, it turns out Muffy has earplugs in her ears. Uh, I'll also note here: this is where the kind of joke continues of George winning every talent show. In fact, Arthur says, "George again? He always wins," and George just comes out on a pogo stick. Yeah, that is my favorite thing about the talent show, Lauren Arthur. This might be the second or even the third talent show they've had on the show thus far. And I love the running joke that George always wins because people love pogo stick tricks. And that's basically the the episode right there. Uh, so, Lucas, uh, let's go back to Binky Barnes' wingman. What do you think? Uh, I, especially going back and talking about it, I think I liked Binky Barnes' Wingman the most of these two episodes. Uh, still on its own, it's not an episode I was crazy about, and I said it while we were talking about it, I think the first quarter or so kind of drags, uh, until we get to the part where Binky starts to become obsessed with this blue uh, butterfly then the episode really shines with Binky's sort of unhinged behavior and regressing into a Captain Ahab type character obsessed with trying to find this uh, butterfly then there's a great twist with sort of Binky wrestling with the fact that it's basically freedom or death for his butterflies and you know how much I love big stakes in an Arthur episode so I enjoyed those aspects of it and I like you said I really enjoyed the Binky performance uh, I liked how Sue Ellen was sort of the straight man who was playing off Binky. They're a great pair, Sue Ellen and Binky, in episodes. But it's not like a s- episode I'm head over heels for or anything. Just a pretty somewhat entertaining middle-of-the-road episode. 
Yeah, I'd say middle of the road, too. At least, like, thumbs in the middle, that kind of thing. I, I thought the bug week idea was kind of fun and led to some uh, interesting visuals, especially from the kids' costumes. But really, the stand the standout, and I don't, again, I don't mean to repeat you here, Lucas, but a Binky. I think if this episode didn't have Binky at the forefront, then it would be a poor episode for it. But the performance by Bruce Dinsmore and the way that they write Binky, the way that they draw him, too, I think is, like, they really have him pull off some, some like, goofy... Uh, weird faces, and uh, I think it works really well. So Binky's the most memorable part of this, and I have to commend them for you know taking a stab at kind of uh, kind of g- gender gender norms around that time for little kids with the uh, with the butterfly thing. So uh, I really appreciated that, uh, especially in this day and age. But you know it's okay. There's definitely better Binky episodes, but I wouldn't say it's like a a waste of time or anything. Uh, on a bit of a similar note, I- I'd say that. To beat or not to beat, uh, in a way that Binky is, Francine is kind of the heart of this episode, but maybe in a bit of a different way. I think I agree with you in that I like Binky Barnes' wingman a bit more. This one, uh, I'm kind of not crazy about. I don't think it's bad or anything, but uh, yeah, I I just found found it fell a little flat for me. But the thing to remember about this is all the scenes with... Uh, Francine trying to drum and sing at the same time, which in its own way, like I still remember years and years later of just all of the weird noises she makes, just like the oh, no, oh, you oh, can geez. fly, oh, oh yeah. Now, Will, I know I'm listening to this on headphones because we're recording it live, and all the listeners were are so, unless they listen to their car or something, they're also going to be listening to this podcast on headphones. Oh. Sorry, I didn't. Mean, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to blow your ears out there. I'll turn it down. <laughs> no, it's fine. They listen. We had to watch this episode and hear it, and so now they're getting their taste as well. I did try to move away from the mic a little bit. Maybe I should have done it more. My apologies. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's uh, you know, it, it it's it's all right. But that little that little twist there of uh, just the way that they make Francine out to be in this episode is uh, at least makes it a little memorable. Yeah, I I think this was definitely the weaker of the two episodes, but there is, like you said, uh, basically a pretty good like two minute and a half stretch near in the final third of the episode where they're basically preparing to confront her and all the stuff where they're secretly recording her. That is just so it's almost like Pee Wee Herman's Breakfast Machine esque. That like okay, we're gonna take the recording to this truck and we're gonna dress like bushes, bushes, and then we're gonna go up to the roof and then we're gonna get the truck to record Francine, but then it drives off. Like, all of that, that plan is just so zany and, like, weird that that part's pretty entertaining. And then the tension of them confronting her and sort of uh, Arthur coming ahead of the group and being like, no, we all told you. Like, that stuff's pretty engaging, but the rest of the episode, I don't know. It's it's an odd episode um, from the name that really doesn't have anything to do with anything in the episode at all to... Uh, them all immediately being like, oh, Fred seems terrible at this one thing. We got to tell her. Like, for some reason, this episode's just kind of weird to me, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, definitely a bit unusual, and I think that that's a, that's a fine classification for it. It's a bit of an oddity, let's say. All right, well, there you go. That's uh, an episode of Arthur in the books. As we get closer and closer to the end of season four, my goodness, we've only got a couple of episodes left here. Um... And, of course, uh, we've got a lot more to come as we get into, well, close to a milestone. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, I know this is where we normally start doing our plugs. Uh, stay through the plugs 
kids, because we last week for our Patreon exclusive Filibuster 3, we had a special announcement uh, that we gave to our patrons a week early. And this week, you're going to get it right after we tell you how you can stay in touch with us. Uh, that would be facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. On Twitter, at ECL Podcast. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. You can email us like our many fabulous emailers did today. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to uh, filibusters and more. Patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. And, of course, you can find the podcast on Apple Music, on Google Play, and at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can find the full back catalog there. That stuff you'll never have to pay for. Okay, so we've got another episode coming up, hopefully very soon. Uh, But before we get into that, I took a look at our Facebook page here. I went to the About section because I wanted to be sure about this. Lucas, we started Elwood City Limits on August the 19th, 2016. So that is the official date that I have as the start of the show. And going into that weekend, that so this week this year that falls on a Sunday. So I think we released our first episode on Friday, August the 19th, 2016 would be my guess. This year on a Sunday. So for that weekend, we are dropping something that is uh we've been we were working on last week. The reason why we had to do a bit of a filibuster is because we uh, we met up in person, which is something we unfortunately do uh, very rarely do these days, you and I, Lucas, to record our second-ever full-length Arthur commentary. And uh, if you caught the hint, I put up the, uh, the Backstreet Boys picture on our Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. If you caught the hint, if you didn't, well, here it is. We've got a full-length commentary for Arthur. It's only rock and roll. Now, the idea for this one, and, uh, you know, hopefully this will go over well in terms of, I think last time, uh, my intention was to put it onto Bandcamp and make it uh, pay what you want. Uh, That didn't end up working so well because I didn't do my research. So hopefully this time I will be able to get it on Bandcamp again, pay what you want. But it will also be uh, free of charge for our Elwood City Limits Patreon listeners. So if you are a monthly donator, and again, you it can be as little as a dollar a month. We really appreciate anything you have to give. You can get this commentary absolutely free. If you're not a patron, you can still pretty much get it for free if you want. We're, uh, I'm definitely going to put it up as a pay what you want. The important thing is that we want you guys to listen to this and enjoy it like we did. We had a blast recording it. Arthur, it's only rock and roll commentary coming for our second year anniversary next month. That's where we talked about like a uh, like K-pop and that's uh, right. What else? What else did we talk about? Uh, hanging yeah. out oh, on t- roofs. How we always wanted out. to hang out on roofs. Uh, we, we, talk, uh, we talked a lot about death grips. Uh, we talked a lot about the Backstreet Boys. We sure did. We talked about a lot of stuff. We had a lot of fun doing it. So get ready for that. That's coming up in August. And then we've also got another episode coming up uh, eventually. Hopefully next week. But if not, sooner rather than later. Lucas, our next episode is going to be the uh, the Arthur episode that contains a thousand and one dads and Prunella's prediction. A thousand and one dads, huh? <laughs> I I remember this one, but uh, is that one you're kind of drawing a blank there? Yeah, I am. And also Prunella's prediction—that's a big warning sign. So lots to look forward to next week. I guess we do. All right. Well. 
That's going to be it for this week's episode of Elwood City Limits. This is Will Young, and uh, for Lucas Mancini... A massive radiation leakage in the cafeteria? We'll see you next time. Get hype! For Arthur, it's only rock and roll. That's coming for our second anniversary.